Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I am your host, Dr. Katie Berlin, and I'm here this morning with Dr. Ross Palmer. Dr. Palmer, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We've met before, but uh, if you wouldn't mind just letting our audience know a little bit about yourself and um, what you're doing right now. Yeah, thanks, Katie. It's um, First of all, it's a pleasure to be on your show. I always enjoy our conversations. Me too. Best summarized, I'm a dog mechanic from Kansas. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so that's where I grew up. Um, I was a kennel boy uh, at a local practice outside of Kansas City, and then proceeded to go to veterinary school at Kansas State, went on, did an internship at the Animal Medical Center and a surgical residency at the University of Georgia, and also did some graduate work there. And then since that time, my career has been evenly split between academia and private practice, um, both as a practice associate and a practice owner. And, And now, probably 15, 16 months ago, I took a new role as the Associate Director of Education at the Translational Medicine Institute at Colorado State University. So you've really been all over the map in this industry, and that's one of the things that I love to hear is, um, you know, people have explored all sorts of different corners of the industry and and seen it really from the ground up, because a lot of us started working in the kennel or as an assistant at a vet hospital, um, you know, in high school or something. And it's really nice to see um, when those assistants grow up to be <laughs> things like directors of education. <laughs> so, um, so welcome, um, Dr. Palmer. I'm really, really glad to have you. Because your career's been so sort of multifaceted. I just am always curious, like if someone had told you at the beginning when you were a kennel assistant um, that you would be doing this now, what would you have said? Uh, it would not have believed it for sure. Yeah, I, I think I think I imagined at that stage of my career that I was actually going to return to that practice. And and that actually would, I've, I'd think, have been a wonderful career as well. But um, I think as my career has unfolded, I've recognized that there just are continually new chapters that come my way because of circumstances, because of people, because of mentors. And somewhere along the line, I got it through my head that this is going to be a really fun ride if I can cooperate yeah. with it. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's the key, and, right? Yeah. And so so now I love the role that I'm in, and it, it would not have been perfect 20 years ago, but it's perfect for me now. And the role that you're in, can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Because um, I'm not sure that, that your title, uh, for me, I need a little more clarification. So what, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so there's, there's multiple facets to being the Associate Director of Education at the Translational Medicine Institute, better known as the TMI. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but a big part of that is, is leading CSU Vet CE. Um, and it's just, it's a wonderful group of people who are centered around a, a vision of what we want to achieve, how we want to achieve it, and and why we do it in the first place. And to be able to work with a group of people like that, who we're all on the same page, we're all 
imperfect in how we go about the things that we do, but we're all unified in our desire to be better individually and be better as a team progressively every day, every week, every month. And, it, and so it's the perfect position at the perfect time in my career. I love to hear that. And I, I feel the same way about where I am right now and that it's a really good feeling. So I'm yeah. very glad for that for you. And they're lucky to have you. And I really, I will be talking more about that, hopefully in another conversation at some point, because I think continuing education, especially as something that maybe as vets, we don't give a lot of thought to, it just sort of appears in front of us, but there's a lot of different facets that go into producing CE that works well for everyone um, at various stages of their career. So Hopefully we can talk more about that another time. Today, uh, the reason that I was so excited to talk to you again is because a lot of the topics that we're bringing up in these conversations on Central Line have to do with these sort of crucial conversations that we have every day in our experience as veterinary professionals. And really, it's it's everybody in a vet hospital has these difficult conversations from, we know the front desk has a lot of difficult conversations, and the technicians who bring pets into the room and who work hard in the back with each other and with doctors, and the doctors as we're trying to communicate and educate clients. And you have a story that I heard you tell um, that I just loved so much for um, sort of bringing to light some of those conversations that maybe we don't even know we are having or should be having. I think I'm just going to ask you, would you mind just telling us um, the story of Grizz and his owner and um, what you learned from that? Yeah, that it's, it is a great story. And there's so many different facets to it because it's a relationship, I think, that, that did change me. It changed the way I look at what I do, um, caused me to reevaluate some things. But but Grizz, um, maybe I'll even back up and say, isn't it amazing how in our careers we come into contact with hundreds, thousands of different patients and clients, et cetera, and yet there are those few that, that somehow yeah. pivot the way we see things. And Grizz is one of those, certainly not the only one of those, but he's one of those for me. And and so when I first met Grizz, he was a um, he was an underwhelming 10-year-old, overweight, out of shape Labrador that was having difficulty walking 10 feet. Um, he, he was in many ways, a, a sight for sore eyes and he had, he had been through one surgery, then a revision surgery. And now as I meet him, there's the very real possibility he'll need a third surgery. And, um, and probably for a variety of reasons, I decided that wasn't the way to go today. Uh, he wasn't ready for that. Maybe I wasn't ready for that but I enlisted the help of our rehab and nutritional management team of the goals of trying to get him a bit stronger, trying to help him lose weight, and that then maybe he would be a better candidate for this surgery number three. And, and as you and I have talked about before, I, I do wonder, was there at some level that I just thought maybe go away <laughs> and maybe I won't? have to deal with you because it's a, it's a big challenge. And, and, and again, he was not all that 
inspiring, um, and we all like to be part of big wins, right? Um, and then that makes me sound like not such a great guy. Um, but as I look back, maybe there's some things that, that I did well, is even though I had referred him to another group within our hospital, I did stay in contact with him. And I, I stayed in touch with his care and peripherally stayed in touch with his owner. And what was very cool is, and it was all their doing, it wasn't mine, but, but, but we began to see Grizz change in front of our eyes and he he was improving and he was getting stronger and it was even becoming a question as to whether or not he was going to need this surgery number three but that's really where the story or at least this part of the story began of of the owner kind of dropped the bomb on me that his dream was to take grizz elk hunting in the fall this is now maybe five months away and to put it in perspective, I mean, this is this dog who just a few months ago had trouble traversing 10 feet across the clinic floor, and now he wants to go elk hunting. And I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I started asking questions, and it, it involved traversing a lot of technical terrain, it involved a lot of endurance, it involved going above 10,000 feet elevation, there's not a lot of oxygen there, uh, and, and I, was, uh, I was concerned that this is a dream that's never going to happen. And so what I attempted to do in my communication with the owner was, was bring in the clouds a little bit um, and, and maybe temper his expectations. And this is where I think I learned a lesson is, is as we talked, and, and I say as we talked, in reality, I was doing the majority of it because he's an individual who just doesn't say a lot. But at some point, I gave him the opportunity to, to have some input. And I don't remember his exact words, but, but it was to the effect of, I understand, Doc, could you perhaps direct me to somebody who cares and who can help me? And, and those, are, those are heavy words. I mean, yeah. if you're a caring individual, like most of us are, to even have there be the implication that the perception is you're not trying and that you don't care, that one hurts. I mean, it hurts a lot. It does. And... Yeah, and um, so that, you know, I, I shudder even as I think back to that. That was hard. Yeah. Um, but that, I, I feel really fortunate, and it did spawn some changes, but I feel really fortunate because he said the words that I think probably a lot of our clients are thinking at times. They're interpreting our words differently than we're intending them, but they're not saying what they're interpreting, and maybe they go share that with their spouse or their significant other or their neighbors or their colleagues, but they don't share it with us, and we don't even know it's happening. Yeah, that's such a, that's, I just think that's such a powerful story. And I, of course, I had the advantage of watching you tell this in a webinar, and so you had like some amazing, you know, videos and photos of Grizz and his his transformation because Grizz did in fact go elk hunting, didn't he? He did indeed go elk yeah. hunting, and that, that's a whole other facet to the story of yeah. what I learned about the potential of an individual. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
um, that wake-up call. And I think we get so defensive. I see veterinary professionals in all roles um, talking about this on social media and with each other. We get very defensive whenever we have a review or a client comment that implies or says outright that we don't care enough because Mm -hmm. we're like, look, we could be doing almost anything else (laughs) for a living and, and have not so much emotional distress and trauma in our lives. And um, we care. And that's why we're here. And we know that. But we think we're conveying that or we think that people just automatically will know that about this. And that's not always the case. And um, caring also looks different for different clients, too. And I just I think that story is so powerful because it just shows how you can feel like you're experienced and at the top of your game and doing everything right and just taking a realistic view of the situation. And it can look totally different to the person on the other side of the table. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I so, think, well, I was going to say, I, I think you're right. I mean, clients are, are sizing us up a little bit, right? They're taking yeah. our verbal and our nonverbal cues and they're making some assessments about us and whether we're trustworthy and whether we have their back, whether we're out for them. And, and for whatever reason on that day with that individual, his perception was, uh, maybe not. Maybe maybe Dr. Palmer's not my guy. Yeah. I think we can all relate so much to whether we want to say it out loud or not to what you said um, at the beginning of that story where you said you were kind of part of you, at least, was kind of hoping that he would just get lost to follow up, you know, where we just we all have those cases where they're tough and we know they're going to be tough and they're going to sap a lot of our energy and we don't feel super optimistic about them. And we're just kind of hoping that we won't have to constantly babysit that case. And um, at least I I can't speak for everyone, but I know I've had those cases and um, it it doesn't do any good to deny it because (laughs) it's, it's kind of a fact of life. And instead, it turned out to be a case that would follow you in a really good way um, for many years. Yeah, and I, I'll pick up a little bit of, of, you know, where you mentioned that, you know, sometimes we are threatened. We get this negative feedback mm-hmm. and we're threatened and we, we want to respond, right? It, 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 it's now we're in defense mode and somewhere along the line, I, I, I've... I say I learned, obviously we're always learning, but, but uh, my reaction doesn't tend to be as much that way as it once was. I now see those as opportunities mm-hmm. of, of now is a chance. Now I know where you're coming from. You've just played your card. I know where you're coming from and, and you are questioning how much I care and, and who am I and what is my character? And, and now I have a chance to shine. You have just played your card and you've given me the chance to be me. And, and, and so let's do this thing. Yeah. yeah, I love that outlook. Um, and in a way, if we could stand it, it would be nice if we could get a 
two-line review from all the clients that we see because then we could really learn how we're coming across to others. I think it's so hard to see that from inside the conversation. Um, so uh, I don't think that I would really want that, but it would be um, very useful for maybe like a week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I'm done. Then I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so after that, you know, now you say that gives you that kind of gives you a chance to know where you stand with the client and and show how you can help them and how much you do care. How overall do you feel like that experience has changed how you approach tough cases and maybe clients that don't want to talk a lot and they aren't giving you a lot of windows? How do you go into those conversations now since then? Well, uh, yeah, I, I would love to say that uh, I've reduced this to three easy steps that will yeah. improve your <laughs> life, uh, but I'm not going to. It, it's, it's more that nagging realization and awareness that just because I'm saying certain words doesn't mean that's how they're being heard. And, and as we sit here today, we should be very afraid. I mean, that's the ominous responsibility of a <laughs> podcast, right? We right. think we know what people are hearing, but we don't always know that, right? That's true, yeah. So, so we have to be aware of what I think I'm saying and what you may be hearing could be two different things. As we talked about before, you're, you're kind of sizing me up. And depending upon where you're coming from on that particular day, your mood, what happened on the way to the clinic, any of a number of different factors, what you interpret may be very different than, than what I intend. And so I, I, I guess I try to recognize and remember and remind myself communication is a two-way street right? It's not yeah. just what is emitting, but it is what is being received. And how can I be monitoring that, right? And so looking for their nonverbal cues, which are easier on some people than on others, but even then it's subject to interpretation. And then, and then checking in, um, but checking in with the client with some intentionality, um, not something sterile like, do you have questions? Maybe a little bit more of the you know, affective side of things where it's like, are you comfortable with the direction we're heading? Um, do you have any concerns about what we've talked about so far? It's, it's opening up a little bit this more emotional, personal, reflective side. So I know where we are. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, I Listening is something I know for much of my career in the, the vet clinic, I, I didn't do very well. <laughs> I was very good at talking at people and not very good at listening. And um, I hadn't, I don't think I really had any idea how clients were experiencing an appointment with me. Um, and we actually had a staff meeting at my last hospital where um, I'm just thinking about this story now because I haven't thought about it for a while, where we were offering, we we're talking about giving feedback. And one of the very experienced team members um, had a habit of saying, does that make sense? After she would explain mm -hmm. something. And she thought she was being helpful and giving people, and she is, she's a lovely person. And she was giving the person a chance to say, you know, no, I need you to explain that again. But 
a lot of the people who she said this to were actually feeling like she thought they were dumb or that she was trying to like dumb things down for them. And I realize I say that all the time too. <laughs> and that was a big wake up call. She was shocked. She had no idea that, that, that it was coming across as kind of bossy and a little bit demeaning to those people. And um, that's just, it's such a classic example of how you can be a really good person with all the really good intentions in the world. And still, sometimes it takes a wake up call from somebody to make you realize that how you're talking isn't necessarily how you want to be coming across. It's hard to believe, but it's that time of year already. Registration for Connexity 2022 is open. AHA's annual conference will be in Nashville, Tennessee this year from September 14th through 17th, and you do not want to miss it. From workshops to games to unforgettable speakers, we're planning something for everyone on your team. So bring them all and join us for an event that will leave you energized and inspired. Learn more and register at aha.org slash Connexity. Let's create a better world together. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what's amazing is I think how probably another person could use that exact phrase with some frequency and it be interpreted differently. So there's, yeah. there's factors in those relationships, so there's factors in the nonverbal communication, all those things that, that lead up to the way it is interpreted. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So true. It's complicated, but it's also an art and it's something we can really work on and learn and not necessarily think of as we have it or don't have it. And that makes it exciting. I think, like you said, it's an opportunity. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I, you know, me, I'm, 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 uh, I'm up on our profession. I mm -hmm. like what we do. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things I love about our profession is we're never done in any no. facet of it. I mean, sure, the medicine and the technology moves on, but but we're never growing uh, or done growing in our our abilities to build better communications with our clients and and learning to hear them differently. All those things. That's that to me is yeah. exciting. Yeah, keeps I it fresh. Totally agree. Yeah, and I. Um... I wanted to ask you too, because you work in an academic setting and most of us um, have not either, you know, a lot of so our support team have never worked in that setting or we as vets haven't worked there since we were students or interns. And I feel like seeing appointments in an academic setting can kind of get a bad rap. You know, if I send people to UPenn, I'm like, okay, you're going to have to take a long time for this appointment. And there's going to be a bazillion people to talk to you and ask you the same questions. And, you know, it's going to be this whole process, but they're going to give you great care. But I, that's how I think of it is there's a lot of steps and there's a lot of different people involved and it's kind of a thing. Um, but there's good sides too. And besides, of course, the fact that you're getting cutting edge care. But I was wondering if there's something you think that veterinary professionals outside of academia could take from the academic experience and use in their own practice, um, maybe that they hadn't, they hadn't been thinking about. It's, it's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I, you know, I need to back up. I need to point out again, half of my career has <laughs> been private practice. Yeah. Half of it has been academia. So I, I really do, still, I think, look at it from both sides. So I, I guess I don't think it's of it so much as what could private practice learn from academia as much as, you know, what, what is our collective? What do we learn from one another? And you, you hit a big one on the head is listening. 
we're we're not good at listening. Um, you know, we have so much racing through our minds. We there's a few things we want to clarify out of the history, etc. And and so we go in. Oftentimes, I go into the exam room with a bit of an agenda, some bullet points I want to hit, etc. And and I think that's a problem. And and so we also have a huge challenge. I think there's a I think there's a huge opportunity for sure in academia, but even in private practice of of finding efficiencies. I mean, we need to look for efficiencies in a term that I'm going to hate to use, but it's patient throughput. And throughput, I, I, I hate the term, right? Because it's so sterile. Yeah. We need to find efficiencies, though, in that throughput. And there are places we can do that. One of the places that isn't, I think, is in our communications. I mean, yes, yes, I should even back up. There are ways that we can get information from a client online in advance of an appointment, et cetera. But what mm-hmm. it shouldn't be is at the expense of person-to-person time in the exam room. If, if you're not done sharing your concerns, then I shouldn't be done listening. And, and yes, right, there's limits, there's parameters on that, etc. But, you know, I, I heard of a human physician recently who a lot of people were just so impressed with this individual because this person could see 85 to 95 patients a day. Oh, my God. Well, I did the math, right? That's five minutes per patient. I mean, after you say hello and a cordial greeting and a cordial goodbye, that leaves you with three minutes. You, you cannot do an exam. You cannot hear a client's concerns in that amount of time. That's an efficiency that I, I don't aspire to. So I guess now to maybe answer your question, one of the things I, I love as a, as a default both private practice and academia, as I look at a lot of things through the lens of what I call the mom test. And, and it really is, is if the client were your mom, is, is this how you would be managing this appointment? And, and you know what? Our character, our ideals, uh, what we hope to achieve, why we're in the profession, all of that will tend to spill out if we create an avatar of this client i'm now looking my mom in the eyes right that's it it it, that's a good way to look at a lot of things that really is and i've never thought about it that way before you know i mean we talk about you know we should treat all clients as if they're the most important client and you know we wouldn't do anything that we wouldn't do with the client in the room like we wouldn't say things to each other about the client that we wouldn't say in front of the client and i don't think any of us are particularly good at that um and so you're so right like if we think about what would i do if i found out that the team was talking about my mom that way or right. judging my mom in that way not even just limited to the face-to-face interaction but how we talk around that client that is a that is a huge lesson um, and really, really good way to look at it and a little bit humbling 
now when I think back. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know I'm not alone there. <laughs> um, so, so thank you for sharing that. And, yeah. um, and Dr. Palmer, I wanted to ask you one more thing too, because um, we're talking. You were talking a little bit about patient throughput and work workflows, and throughput is such a strange word too. But it it is just you know door to door, basically getting that patient and client in and out of the hospital in the most efficient way possible, because their time is valuable. What have you learned about that from working with? Like we're really big on teams here at Aha, and I know that you have a. a really, you know, team centric outlook to what have you learned from the teams that you've worked with as far as trying to optimize that experience and make clients feel like the time they spend with you is valuable and um, isn't a waste of their time? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I, I have worked with, you know, all kinds of teams through all sorts of different roles through the years. And I think, one of the things that is one of my passions is is healthy teams and healthy teams you can feel it you know mm-hmm. when you're in the presence of a healthy team and and i it doesn't matter whether it's a clinic team whether it's a sports team whether it's uh commercial aviation you can tell when you are interfacing with a healthy team so i love to build healthy teams and be part of healthy teams. Yeah, now I kind of like building them. At, at one point, all I want to do is be part of one, right? Yeah. And, and because then, then you're comfortable in your own skin. You know what you're trying to do. You know what impact you're after, how you want to get there. And, and I think most importantly, you know why you're doing any of it. Um, and, and so I think in the clinical arena as a practice stepping back and asking those hard questions really analyzing it's so hard to do we're so busy but stepping back and and why individually do i do what i do but as a practice what is our what is our cause what is our belief system what is our why what what are we trying to achieve? Why is it important to us? And then once we begin to understand those things, then we can start to explore specifically how do we do this as a team and to what end? Where are we trying to go? Um, and, And I think there's magic in that. And so in a clinic team, when you can create that resonance of of why are we doing what we're doing how do we go about achieving it and to what end what are we what is our vision what are we trying to where are we trying to get to then you start to build this healthy team that's really fun to be a part of i think that's such a great um way to put that because so many of us feel overwhelmed a lot of the time um, especially right now i mean things are nuts in the clinics right now Um, from universities to the smallest private practice like everybody is feeling overwhelmed and um, teams and culture and um, communication can really take a backseat at those times because everybody is just trying to survive and get through the day. But it's the foundation for everything we do to have a healthy team and a good culture and communication that people feel safe and you know psychologically safe um, in their workplace. And so it is worth taking the time to do that, even if you know that 
your actual physical work of seeing patients is going to have to um, be a little bit tighter for a little while 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 you work on that. And that's something that I feel so strongly about just from my own experience in the clinic. So um, I think that's that's such an important thing. And I'm really glad that you feel the same way. Um, I know a lot of us at AHA are really excited about um, all the conversations that are going on now about culture and healthy workplaces and psychological safety. And that's, that really highlights that. The other thing I was thinking about too, is when you're talking to somebody like Grizz's owner, and they're not seeing you in that way, we can't all be at our best every day. Like we're all going to have bad days or days where we just aren't communicating the way we want to or with clients that we don't click with, but your team can really help lift up that experience for that client. If you're not having the best day on earth that you've ever had, and that client's not having the best day, your team can really help fill in those gaps because they're there outside the exam room and they're there to take a history and they're there to fill your medications. And they, that those interactions all add up to how we're perceived as a practice. Yeah, I, I think that is a, a fantastic point. And that that's the that's the importance of this team building, right? Is is everybody feels connected to the whole, first of mm-hmm. all. That's that's what it means to be part of a team. And and you know, everybody has each other's back. When when we do understand our why and how and what we're trying to achieve and we're we're cohesive in that and we have one another's backs, then it actually is relatively easy to say, hey, hey, guys, you know, like today, especially today, I'm hurting, right? This isn't my best day. Um, yeah. I, I, my tank isn't completely full. And, and I'm going to need a little help. And, and, you know, that that's, that's a great workplace to be a part of. And, and likewise, it's, a, a, you know, a great, workplace to interface with as the client because you don't feel the letdown of one individual because everybody's there they're serving your needs that's part of the why that's part of the how right and so so the team gets it and they're a connected whole and they're reinforcing the same messages again that's that's where i say and where i notice it most is is you know i'm a consumer you're a consumer and when you walk into the presence of a healthy team, it's, it's, you almost immediately can sense it. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, it's great to be a client of that. It's also great to be a team member on a team like that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what we all should be striving for, I think. Yeah. So Dr. Palmer, thank you so much. This is such a great conversation. I feel like, um, you know, we touched on a lot of really important points here, but the one I'm taking home is treat those interactions as if you would be talking to your mom (laughs) or someone else's mom, (laughs) because they might actually be someone else's mom. And you just, you just, you, we owe them that. And um, we owe each other that. Well, thank you for having me on your show, Katie. Thanks so much for your time. And thanks to you all for listening. We'll catch you next time on Central Line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.